KISS Army, welcome to this bonus issue of The KISS Room, as I am joined by Leon Delaney and Kat Mara. This is a freewheeling, long-form conversation focusing on Leon's life and career, and of course, the connections to KISS. This interview is presented uncut, so you will hear the word a few times because that's part of the conversation, and this is a PodKISS Network exclusive. So if the word bothers you turn back now but seriously this is a really fun conversation i smiled the entire time and i hope that you will too sit back get comfortable and meet me in the kiss room meet meet you in the kiss room meet meet you in the kiss room with matt porter and the podcast crew hey you're not allowed to smoke in the Room. Hi everybody, it's Gene Simmons. You're listening to The Kiss Room on Montco Radio, but you knew that. You wanted the best and you got it. The hottest man in the land, Matt Porter! Kiss Army, you wanted the best and you got it. I am Matt Porter and you are in the Kiss Room. If you've been listening to the Kiss Room over the past 10 years, you've probably heard me mention that Kiss was scheduled to play at Montgomery County Community College on May 11th, 1974. Of course, that show didn't happen, but I've always tried to bring some Kiss to Monco on that date. To celebrate that date, I am joined by two fantastic people. Kat Mara calling in from Florida. Woo, Cat and Mr. Leon Delaney, welcome back to the Kiss Room. Uh, thank you. Now, look, I'm thrilled to have you both here today. And obviously, uh, you know, we're talking about when I talk about May 11th, 1974, and Kiss was scheduled to play here, we're talking about the roots of Kiss. I mean, obviously, Kiss, you know, the first album had come out in February 1974. They were scheduled to play here in May 1974. Never happened, of course. But, Leon, you were around during the birth of Kiss. I mean, obviously, your brother, for anybody who doesn't know, and I'm sure everybody does know, was Sean Delaney. So you had a ringside seat as the band was being formed. So take us back to those days. What do you remember? What are your earliest memories of Kiss? Oh, there's two two people still breathing air. Lydia Chris, okay, who knew Kiss before Kiss, before the Daisy, before the Diplomat. She, Peter was playing birthday parties when they were married. So Lydia Chris and me, since Phil and Sean are dead, are the last one of the originals that were there at the very beginning. Mm. You, you follow that, Matt? Yeah, I mean, that's when you think about that, like you saw it from the absolute seeds in the ground, you know, ready to hatch kind of a, I mean, what are some of the first things you think about? Like, or, or you know, you started seeing these guys. Well, well, real quick, Matt, I was living with Bill and Sean, and we called Bill Gee more than Golden Bill, just to let you know. And I'm living with them, and I'm working construction. Bill's still an a, a award-winning commercial director, okay? And Sean's trying to write songs and sell songs and whatever in Manhattan. It's just, it was, it was good times. And I get home from construction, picture me all muddy and dirty, 
and they're all excited. They show me a picture of Kiss that they saw at the diplomat the night before on their very first advertisement, agents and whatever. And they showed me a picture of them. This, this is their own makeup wearing Levi's and a T-shirt. No sequence. And they said, what do you think? I said, I said the fans are either going to love them or hate them. <laughs> There's not going to be any, there won't be any in-between. But they were excited. I got excited for them. Because I was an Eagle man back then. But, you know, I love both of them, so we're going with it. <laughs> wow. I had more fit- I had more fist fights outside the, the Daisy in Queens <laughs> on Queens Boulevard. There'd be 50 people there and 25 of them yelling, you faggots. <laughs> and there'd be 25 of us, you know, clapping our hands. Wow. But as soon as it got outside, the fists were flying. Oh. The anti-kiss voice. But I love that. That's Irish. I couldn't get enough of it. <laughs> oh, Wow. You know, so I mean, no, obviously, no. at that time, I mean, they're they're coming into their own. They're trying to figure everything out. I mean, when you saw them, did you ever have any idea that they would go on to such heights? Yeah, well, yes. I mean, you couldn't, you couldn't. How can I put it? To dress like them, to have a show like them, and that's that. Sean put their whole show together, by the way. I don't know if you knew that. The first kiss, which you saw on the stage, that was Sean's doing. Okay, uh, theatrics. He actually taught them, and I, I just was there. He actually taught them how to walk and talk like rock stars, <laughs> how to act like rock stars, and, instead of bumbling kids from Queens or whatever. Well, the rest is history, so we know that. You know, thinking about that, I mean, you know, go through each member, really. What were your first impressions? Like, you know, when you, like you said, bumbling kids, they're very young. And I think a lot of time, especially all these years later, people tend to forget they really were kids, you know, 20 somethings. What were some, like, go through each member and kind of who seemed to get it the most or what were some, maybe something you remember of that? You know, the history of Jeep. Okay. I used to know his real name, but with my dementia, I forget it. Shiamla. Huh? Heine Climber, whatever. I think it was Heine Climber. He was a teacher yeah. at an all Jewish school, smart as hell. Uh, Jeannie uh, was, was brilliant as hell. Okay? And now Paulie, you know, worked at a public school, you know, weighed 100 pounds more than he does today, wearing coveralls, so you can imagine that twosome. <laughs> Uh, this, you asked me at the beginning. Okay, now they hook up with, with Peter. And you, you know the great story with Ace. Ace admits it. They're doing an audition for Ace, you know, for a lead guitar player. They, they know what they want. They got the makeup working, you know, the best they could. And they, as the story goes, Ace walks in, who was ever playing. And Ace told us the story. It was one of the kids' guys that replaced him. Help me, Cat, with his name. The well, two brothers. Bob Kulik, probably. Who? Is it Bob Kulik was one? He was there auditioning. Yeah, yeah, Kulik. Bob yeah. Kulik. yeah. Right. <laughs> he goes up and unplugs his his guitar and plugs his in while Kulik's playing. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, had different colored sneakers, right? So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ace, let's go this way. Ace could hardly walk and talk. <laughs> That's how uncoordinated the boy was. <laughs> now, but when he put his fingers on a guitar, it was magic. Hmm. You, you just couldn't believe what you're seeing and hearing. 
But minus that, crazy as a loon. That's why he's my favorite. <laughs> Absolute favorite. Tell, tell, tell Matt about the uh, the Commodores in Studio 57. <laughs> well, well the, on my birthday, February 18th, 1994, okay, they had a thousand West Coast reporters, agents, whatever, at the Century Plaza Hotel Ballroom. Okay, nobody has seen Kiss. They're going to do a four-song set. Now, if you can picture this ballroom, suits, ties, gowns, da-da-da-da-da. And I'm sitting with Lydia Chris, Bill O'Coin, Neil Bogart, who is president of Buddha, then he started Casablanca, and Neil's wife, Joyce Bogart. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we know, I say we know, I knew they knew, if this doesn't work, Kiss is through. Mm. So that's how important these four songs. And I told the guys, look, it's my birthday. You don't have to throw a party like this. <laughs> little cake in a room would have been fine. Well, anyway, when the curtain went up, <laughs> you, could hear, you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> look at these six foot seven devil red tongue star child. It was crazy. <laughs> But when they hit, I forget, Lydia knows the four songs. I keep forgetting. Fire, I know the... By the Firehouse, I know Firehouse, uh, a blue diamond, a black diamond, whatever. It didn't matter. By the time the fourth song was over, the tables were tipped over, the women had their dresses up around their waist dancing. <laughs> and, and, and I looked at Bill and Neil, we could see on their faces, me and Lydia and I, that they will make it. It was crazy. Well, anyway, they had a big party later at another huge room. And the Commodores are there. And, uh, well, David Jansen, drunk as hell, trying to play uh, piano. And uh, I got in with the Commodores. Well, I ended up in their limousine. I ended up in a black section of L.A. in an all-black bar, <laughs> nightclub. <laughs> and this is with Lionel Richie and the whole I love the Commodores. I thought they were great. They said, nah, Leon, you'd be fine. Well, I had more fun in there, beautiful white boy. And I got back to the Sunset Marquee. It's still beyond me. Because <laughs> they took that. No, the name of the bar is 57. So, anyway. Now, prior to that, I've got to tell you this story, Matt. There's 55th Street, little office that he shared with a buddy. He had five people working for him. It was pretty cramped. And I was a roadie then that summer. And uh, no, this be prior before I became a roadie. I uh, was healing up for being hurt in a construction accident. Anyway, I'm going to the, up the, the 55th Street. This before cell phones, by the way. And Bill, he and Sean are waiting for me on the sidewalk. <laughs> and there's a limousine, right? He said, hurry up, hurry up. I've got a plane to catch. I said, what's going on? And he gave me the master of the original master of the KISS first album. Oh, my God. This is so funny. And I had to get to L.A. Bill gave me $500. I was able to go to Salt Lake City afterwards to see my little son, who's now 54. Mm. But back then, he was seven. And, uh, and there was, like, the FBI waiting for me with handcuffs to take that album. Wow. You know, it's a very important album, as we say, the rest, the rest is history. 
You know, it's but, funny uh, when you think about it is in that day, if it was the master tapes, that might have been the only one because it's not like it now was, where was, you can make, about, you know, digitally. The now, now there's a hundred copies of something digitally and well, I have a hard drive backup. At that point, you had the whole thing in your hands right the, there. The, the, between my <laughs> legs on the plate. <laughs> and, Leon, and Leon, when he told me the story, he was like, I was crapping my pants. I'm like, what do you mean the master? This is the only copy. It's the master, and you need to get it there. What do you mean the master? And, and, oh, my God. And, and, and Bill gave me 500 because I'm in the limo. No clothes, no anything. So if I had to buy some other Levi's or whatever, we're taken care of. But when I got to the end of that escalator, and those guys are waiting for me from Casablanca, you know, uh, it took that hmm. from me. I felt very fun. good. I had 20 minutes to catch my flight, so like, but as they say, it all worked out. <laughs> wow, you're not kidding. That's amazing. I mean, that's really one of those things. They put the whole world in your hands, or as you might say, between your legs. So it was just, it was yeah. perfect. <laughs> Remember, back then, you couldn't put any electronic shit through the x-ray. Wow. So if I screwed that up. <laughs> Imagine that. Wow. That's no, incredible. Like Fox Security and explained, you know, the situation. They went around the X-ray machine, and it all obviously it all worked out. You know, so you're thinking. I mean, obviously, we're talking like 1974. Then you start to see by 1975, they're really starting to take off. By 76, now the rocket packs are going. I mean, obviously, you know, Beth and Kiss Alive, and everything is starting to take off. What are your memories of that time when you're seeing? You saw it from the start, and you saw it take off very quickly. It, it, this was it was crazy. But when it started to take off, now you know the old uh, golden air ring story. I think I told you last time. You know, tell me again, it's, because I want to get this recorded. Jersey City, uh, they were the first the first act up with headliners, Golden Earring. They had a song called Radar Love. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, Sean is like, Sean is like a, 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 an ant, a relative ant just hovering over everybody, making sure everything's right, da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> I got to tell you, Matt, the Delaney boys were some tough assholes. You, <laughs> you can't swear. You're in the kiss room, Leon. Well, you can oh, probably sorry. say that. You, you, didn't, you didn't want to mix up with the Delaney boys. We're Irish. Our dad was crazy. But anyway, <laughs> after Kiss did their four songs or whatever, the 10,000 fans or 8,000 fans, whatever, and they started chanting Kiss. Like, 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 uh, what act did I just say? Golden earring. Golden earring was playing. So the next night, we heard rumors that golden earring roadies were going to unplug Gene and uh, uh, Amp. Right. So we're waiting for them. We're because you know with the Kiss show, if it dies for two minutes, the show's over. Right. You'll never rebuild that 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 energy. So we're waiting for him. And sure enough, these idiot roadies come. We beat the shit out of him. And Gene's looking, Gene's looking over the amps watching the fight. <laughs> so we opened up an anvil case and threw one of the roadies in the anvil case and locked it. <laughs> well, needless to say, just finished their show. Never played with Golden Earring again. Right. But remember, Kiss is probably the one of the few groups, you know, that was first act up for a very short time. Because word got around, you do not want to follow Kiss. <laughs> Bob Seeger, who's one of the nicest men that ever was in the industry. I adored Bob Seeger. Well, 
for a while he is first backed up to kiss. <laughs> and they would be booing, chanting for kiss. And Bob used to say, look, guys, just let me play one more song. <laughs> the monsters that are going to be out here no matter what. So come on, let me just play one more song. This is Bob Seger. Six months later with the LA Forum for his sold out you know, headlining show. <laughs> <laughs> it was tough to be a first act up, and nobody wanted to, right. and I don't blame. That's a hard act to follow. I've seen a I've lot of bands over Kiss that have had a hard time. That's for sure. One thing I'll say about Kiss: no matter, actually, I stopped following Kiss not after they broke up. To me personally, uh, uh, the other two guys are nice guys, whatever. But when the four broke up after their solo albums, whatever. I really never followed Kiss again, but I was into my career of being a stuntman and, and whatnot. But I got my Screen Actors Guild card because of Kiss with their wonderful television movie that we Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. <laughs> See, now look, I was going to bring that up because I remember, you know, anybody obviously that listens to the Kiss Room knows pretty much every line of dialogue in Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. So for anybody that's tuned in that doesn't know this, when the uh, the three tough kids are going into the Chamber of Thrills, you know, to get uh, you know a heart attack time, and they come along a family, and the, the one tough guy pops the balloon, and the little girl looks all mad, and the dad says... You're not allowed to smoke in here. Of course, that was you. Take us on the set. Talk about that. I, I love that, you know, because I think it's just such a great moment. Uh, you understand, I, I won't get details, but the year prior, I was almost crushed, crushed to death. Should have been uh, mm. dead. Uh, like the police that came to visit me in the hospital room weeks later said, Leon, we walked. And I told my partner, don't run, he's dead. And when you woke up screaming again, we couldn't believe it. And for two months, 10 people would come into my room, didn't even know them. The fire department, the ambulance, the policemen, relatives, cousins, whatever. Staten Island, New York, Richmond Memorial Hospital. That touched me because they thought I should be dead, so there must be something lucky in me. <laughs> but it took a year of walking like an old man. Now, I'm living with, with Sean and Gee up in New City, New York, beautiful house in the woods, or back uh, our back in the woods neighbor was a drummer for Blood, Sweat, and Tears. And him and Sean would grow marijuana, and they would harvest <laughs> it and hang it in the kitchen. <laughs> All the plants. And, and anyway, good times. But it took me a year to heal up. But mm. during that year, Kiss became very, how can I put it, they just started just on the radar going crazy. It just went up and up and up. Now, in the hospital, I said, I'm not going to work construction professional life. I'm 23 years old. Screw this. What do I want to be? I want to be an actor. <laughs> of course, we're all actors. <laughs> but I, Robert Redford, a family friend, I met uh, once again in New York City. And I asked him, I said, uh, want to go to an acting school? He said, Neighborhood Playhouse. And then a crowd started. Bob had to leave because he was you know, he was Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid then. And anyway, I, I go to Neighborhood Playhouse, and they told me you cannot take any professional work until we say you're ready, because they only want plays. They only want New York, Broadway, and I knew how hard just from stories to get your Screen Actors Guild card, and that's all I wanted. And they said if you. If you work in film, you're you're kicked out of the school. So I had a choice: mm. be kicked out of the school or get my SAT card. <laughs> well, they flew me to to LA. I do my great line, which Cat Mara 
when I first met her, that's what she said to oh. me. Scared, scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Leon, Leon, so I was with Lydia Chris, Bill's... At the Kiss Convention. And also, yeah, New Jersey, New York Convention. And also this guy whispers in my ear, I have a huge fixation with tall girls. I turn oh, around that, and I went, true. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> I did. Lydia Chris, Lydia and Mark turns around and says, Cat, Cat, don't punch him. That's, Lee, that's Sean's brother. And I go, who the heck is Sean? And who the heck are you? And then, and then I figured it out, and I said, oh, the Mr. I, oh, you can't smoke in here, dude. I said, I said you just walk up to a girl and say that? And then no, we were best friends. <laughs> she's right about this. Uh, to this day, either a tall woman was nice to me when I was a kid, but I'll take a, a, a tall woman any day over a short woman. <laughs> you know, and Kat, Kat Mara is, is stunning and six feet tall and bare feet. <laughs> So if you can imagine, I, I thought I died and went to heaven. And there you go. Anyway, but I didn't know about Kiss Army. I didn't know about Kiss Convention. I know about no idea. until Lydia invited me to Edison, New Jersey. I moved back to the East Coast uh, for a, like a, a an adventure where I grew up and met Cat, lived in Boston, Fort Lauderdale, and uh, had to move back to Vegas. Anyway. But when she said that, I, I never knew. Kids are walking around dressed as Kiss. I'm yeah, like, what the, no hell, what the hell is this, Lydia? So, yeah. yeah, this is when strange. I started, when I first started talking to Leon, after I met him in New Jersey, we would talk all the time on the phone. He was living in New Jersey at the time, and then he moved to Boston. And uh, he was like, what is this Kiss Army thing? He goes, how did you know my lines from the movie Phantom <laughs> of the Park? And I go, what? I go, you don't know. So then we, we would talk, and then he would call Lydia. Lydia would call me. And he would be like, Lydia, Kat said this and that. There's a Kiss Army, and there's, like, all these fans, and they even like them without makeup. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> I, I, I knew nothing about this. Because, remember, for 30 years, I wasn't part of it. After they broke up. I never followed them again. Didn't listen to them again. I'd hear their songs, you know, rock and roll all day and all that stuff. But I was never into them like back in the 70s. So when Lydia invited me, I could not believe it. But when I walked in first, there's a long line. And I look up, and what's that guitar player thing? It's t Yeah, tell Matt about Tommy no, Sayer when he walked right in. No, to <laughs> what's his name, the lead guitar now? Tommy Sayer. Tommy Sayer. Tommy Fair, nice guy, really nice guy. And the security stopped me. I said, get the fuck, oh, get the heck out of here. <laughs> so I, I walked past the long line. I said, tell him Delaney's here. You know, just tell him Leon Delaney's here. Tell Leon Delaney's here. Just say, just say Delaney. And, of course, he let me right in, and we talked a few minutes. And really nice guy. He really was. Now, I'm going to jump around for another convention. Ace Fraley was there. And that was at Chiller? Yeah, it was right. Chiller in New Jersey. Yeah. Chiller. Anyway, I haven't seen Ace in years. So I grew up to him. We talked, you know, it's like old home week. Now, Kat, I said, because, you know, you're going to come in and see Ace, you know, and I can't get in touch with her. Now we have cell phones. And I'm waiting and waiting. He's got security that Ostr I can't pronounce the kid's name, Ostrowski, whatever. Yeah, anyway, Kat, we finally tracked Cat down. I said, get your butt in here. 
because Cat has things to give him. Uh, Cat will tell you what the pictures were. Well, what happened was when I got there, I went to the restroom and I forgot my phone. My cell phone was in my back pocket. So my phone fell in the toilet <laughs> and it died. Not even there two minutes and my phone is dead. So then my friend, I was with David Stryker and one other person. And so we ended up at Weird Al Yankovic's table because Dave goes, all right, let's go hang out with Weird Al. Let's let your phone dry out. Maybe you get in touch with Leon. So I'm sitting there, and I'm right next to Weird Al. I'm just sitting at his table next to him. P- fans are coming up. And all of a sudden, this woman comes up and people, and they were like, how much? And I said, I don't know. I said, hold on. And then all of a sudden, Weird Al's like, I don't know you, but, um, and I sold, like, photos. I said, I'm not sure, but this one is great. I go, look at this one. I go, do you want to see these two? And I sold like $200 worth. And Weird Al turned around and he goes, I don't know your name or who you are, but thank you. You're hired. <laughs> and then after that. So, obviously, this is when you're keeping Gene and me waiting. Right. That's what I'm getting to. As soon as that happened, my phone lit up out of nowhere and said, where the hell are you? Ace is waiting for you, but then it said the ballroom where he was, and then the phone died. I never ran so fast in my life. <laughs> and then everybody was, well, as soon as it walked now, in. Now I remember, I, I've been with Ace now talking and sitting next to him and signing autographs, taking pictures. But we, talked for, we, we talked for, you know, 20 minutes about the old days, the funny old days. Uh, I'll give you one. But no, I won't. That's too private. But anyway, <laughs> I walked in. We, we, we get cat. We get cat in there, and he thought Ace, you know, saw God. You know, <laughs> cat sat next to him and tell him what you had. You had eight of them. Remember, Matt? It's the picture. It's Batman and Robin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and saying uh, Tommy Thayer is the space, and then it's Batman slapping him, saying, <laughs> "Shut up, Ace Frehley is the space man." Right. So as soon as I laid it down, and I had 14 copies of it, and I said, I made these, would you be willing to sign them? And he looked at them, he looked at me, looked at John Astromany, looked at Leon, and he goes, you made these? And I said, yeah. He goes, I can't believe this. Said to his assistant, some girl had to have been his assistant, he goes, move all of this out of here and bring the chair right to me. (laughs) Right between us. He goes, put the chair right between us. Oh, you could put a credit card between them, Matt. Yeah, so then he wanted, he kept one, and uh, and uh, Richie took one, too, his guitar. I know it was on Ace's mind. He could care less about mm-hmm. Yeah. No, he loved it. He had my mom and framed it. He texted me pictures saying, I framed it. It's on my wall. Yeah. I think he but was anyway, looking at Cat. He was going to take all of them. He was going to take all fourteen or whatever Cat had. Oh, he went. <laughs> oh, that's what it was. Yeah, he went to take all fourteen of them, and I go, at least leave me one. He's <laughs> <laughs> only supposed to have one. He loved them so much, he wanted to keep all of them, and I go, no. And he goes, oh, just one. And I said, I go, just at least give me one. <laughs> and then Mark Mark Britton, uh, <laughs> Bill O'Coin's nephew, went back. He signed seven. And then Mark went back, and he said, where's your girlfriend? And he goes, she's not my girlfriend. He goes, then why don't you tell me? I want to take her out to dinner. So then Mark came back. 
Knowing that he would skip dinner. Yeah, he, he, he was in love. But Kat finally got got her moment with Ace and had other things over the years. Ace gave me his home number, which I still have on my cell phone. You know, I should have wished him a... He's turned 70, I guess, this week. 71, I think. How about that? No, 71? Well, we're all getting older. Oh. Rolling Stone. Not but, to be. As, but as we were walking in, Leon's typing in his cell phone, and I said, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm typing in Ace's phone number. Hands me this piece of paper, you know, a piece of cardboard. And uh, it was from a program, a piece of cut-up program. And he goes, put this in your back pocket, look at it later, it's for you. And I go, what is it? And he leans into me and he goes, it's Ace's phone number. And, you know, so I have that still hidden. <laughs> she kept it in a secret place in her kiss room <laughs> and, and a bowl or something. Cup. Nobody wants to look at a Tommy Thayer cup, but we love Tommy. <laughs> Whoa, we love Tommy. You know what, Tommy Thayer and the drummer are probably the nicest people on earth. But you understand, after the four broke up, but you can understand this, Matt. You know, it's like uh, Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig quitting baseball. Uh, are you going to be a Yankee fan? No. You know what? There's it, a magic it, to that original lineup that, that will just never be repeated. I mean, obviously, that, I've they, followed it all the way through and have always been a fan. But but that original lineup, that's, you know, that's where I started. And it kind of starts and ends for me. So it's really, uh, you know, and I've been a fan all along, but I can totally hear what you're saying. I mean, it, ironically, I mean, you know, and obviously you, you started telling the story about getting your SGA card from saying you're not allowed to smoke in here in Kiss Meets the oh. Phantom of the Park. Now, at that time... On the set of the movie, obviously, things were not even good within the band. Well, were you feeling that was, at the time, or how did, how did it seem? Absolutely. I, you know, uh, how can I put it? Their success was so astronomical. Now, remember, I, I told you the story. I was a roadie for the summer between Kiss and Stars, the, the second group Bill signed. Right. 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 Now, I told them, I'll just, I think every young man should be a roadie with a rock, successful rock band for the summer. He'll never regret it. <laughs> that sounds like a great way to spend a summer. Anyway, we're playing Jack Murphy Stadium. And after this show in San Diego, I'm heading to the airport, taking the red eye back to New York, starting acting school the following Monday, da 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 I, I don't know how many fans are there, 50,000, whatever. And I said to Ace, I said, Ace, we're not the Daisy anymore, are we? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, no, it's, it's good stuff. It really is. And it's too bad that their success and drugs and whatever, you know, that uh, they couldn't have possibly made it that long. Right. But, uh, was that recording of a live one, Leon? When you when you guys were all looking outside and it was all those fans, and you turned to it, turned it could to be the live one, live two, live one. You know, Kiss was marginal on record sales. I won't get into the stealing, the theft of the record company, the hell with them. But uh, they finally got all their money back, and I won't get into that. But that a live one that made them. Who was ever smart enough to to Record their show in Detroit. You know, it, the rest is history, as we say. And then Alive 2 is the same thing. Anyway, real quick, back to SAG. 
They said, you know, you can take six months. You don't have to join right now. I said, okay. I ran the SAG. It's one little single <laughs> building. Now it's 10 stories. It's $225 to join. Bill gave me the money. <laughs> and I ran back I ran back to New York, and all my athlete buddies wanted to see my SAG card. Okay? Now, it gets better. Three weeks later, I get a call from a California coordinator as I want to do stunts on a, on a street gang film called Warriors. Mm-hmm. And then that, my light went on about stunts. I moved to L.A. six months later. As they say, the rest is history. I've been very lucky. But 20-some-odd years after the fact, because our first gang were, had a face paint on, the Furies, the baseball guys. Walter Hill, the director, and what a nice guy, he did that for the pay an homage to Kiss, because he's such a Kiss fan. That's why I put the makeup on. I didn't know that. I said, shit, I'd had Kiss come to the set and, and greet you <laughs> and get a few brownie points. We had him front row. Thanks for having yeah, me. Uh, I didn't know it until 20 years later when I read an article uh, about Walter and why the makeup. Because he was a Kiss fan. I said, Jesus, we're, we're Riverside Park. I tell you, I, I'd have him there in 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, if I ever tell you about Gene cock-blocking me with Cindy Crawford. <laughs> no, I think we need to hear that. <laughs> Okay, Bruce Willis, I think Bruce Willis was a bartender. And one of the great places on 14th Street and 1st was a place called Ashley's. I mean, it was rock and roll, decadent, restaurant, dance hall upstairs, good restaurants down. You know, it was just crazy. And we all had a charge account on a coin, <laughs> which was even better. Well, there's a young, good-looking girl at the bar. And I, I was considered a fairly looking good man in my prime. So I'm making the run at her and it's working. Damn. Well, Gene comes up without his mask on. Said, Leon, who is this? Introduce me. I said, this is uh, Gene Simmons, the bass player for Kiss. Oh, she fell apart. Who was it? Cindy Crawford. Wow. Jesus Christ. But I never forgave Gene. Uh, I thought well, I must have said you then. But now you know who's one of the 4,000 women. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, mean, uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> no, no, I'll tell you the truth. If you put half of the ugliest women on earth against the wall in an auditorium and then some of the best-looking women on earth on the other side, they would probably juke looking at each other. And Gene had no qualms, had no qualms whatsoever. He, he was a, he was an equal dicker. Now, remember, remember, remember Grand Funk's uh, song um, that has a person there, Connie from Little Rock. Sure, American band. Well, Connie, Connie, yeah, Connie was a very famous roadie. And I, I'm talking to her at Little Rock, obviously backstage. I said, Connie, am I going to be lucky enough to get you once? And she had a notebook of a list who's next. And she said, well, I got five in front of you. And then I see my, <laughs> I my brother. Then, of you. Oh my God. And then I see my brother's name. <laughs> I said, Connie, if you think you're ever going to dick Sean Delaney, who's gay as hell, good luck. <laughs> yeah, tell, tell me about it. Well, needless to say, I didn't get Connie. I feel bad. I'm the only person on earth that didn't get Connie. You know, but, but Grand Funk had her name in their song. That is too funny. Yeah, I think that sounds like a long line. I don't know, a revolving that, door. You, you can't make this up. 
she was very proud. You know, they respected Connie. None of the guys thought she was a whore or whatever. They respected her. She was a professional. Uh, what do you call it? Group. Okay, and she took pride in it. Now they showed a picture of her a couple of years ago. Like, ooh, I'm sure grandkids are saying, "God, Grandma, you did that." <laughs> <laughs> like, oh. At least my, my grandchildren tell their teachers I did home alone. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, Brandon, yeah, my mom was the biggest whore in the groupies back in the 70s. So, now, how many fans do you have, Matt? How many people are listening to this now? I think there's two of them. It's you and Kat right now. Okay. So you can <laughs> cut this out if you want to, right? Oh, I'm not cutting that out. I'm totally leaving. No, that. no, no. I'm going to tell you a story that I hope you do cut out because it's it's the time for my birthday and all that crap, you know, debauchery. We're staying at the Sunset Marquee, and back then that was a very famous hotel, you know, off the strip, the Sunset Marquee. And anyway, Ace wakes me up. I'm hungover. And it's like eight in the morning. He says, "Come on, Curly, call everybody, Curly." Because he forgot their names. So everybody's curly. Come on, curly. Let's go get drunk. I said, Ace, it's 8 in the morning. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we, walk, we walk up to Sunset Boulevard to the famous liquor store that's still there. And Ace says, I'm up. I'm worried. I can't go to sleep. I said, well, why? What's up? He said, well, you know, my girlfriend, her dad's like a... Uh, a big wig and the and the the boys mafia whatever you want to call them back then. And he said, "He's, not, he's yeah. talking about Ace's first wife." Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to incriminate anybody Ace. here, but you know. No, no. This is Ace told me the story. He said, "Wait, well, we got in a fight. She left. Now, and uh, about he said an hour later, guys in suit ties came up to my little apartment and." Damn near threw me down the stairs, threw me in the limo, <laughs> and drove me to Staten Island. <laughs> and there's the father in this, like, godfather room behind his desk. And you have to understand, nothing against things. He wasn't the best-looking man on earth back in the day. And that's really where he learned how to play guitar. He kept to himself. You know, he's in his basement. And as they say with Ace Guitar playing, I'll put him up with anybody. I don't give a shit. I mean, his fingers are lightning. Anyway, <laughs> his father said to Ace, he said, Ace, I have no idea why my daughter loves you and wants to marry you. I look at you now, I have no idea. But she's still my daughter. So this is the deal. If you ever make her cry again, now let's get this straight, Ace, you're a guitar player, right? It's going to be very hard to play guitar without fingers. No. <laughs> Ouch. I said, well, Ace, what did you do? He said, I married her. What do you think I did? I'm sure I'm going to get a call from somebody. But I laughed my ass. He said, I married her. What the hell you think I did, you idiot? <laughs> yeah, this, this is time. Lydia and Chris is a great photographer. And with that release of the album, they had a huge thing. It's not even there anymore, Tower Records on Sunset. But it was Kiss Day. Uh, thousands of fans. Lydia's going crazy taking pictures. So that was during the weekend of, uh, what can I say, craziness. But it's still one of the great stories. You know, that's well, the funny thing is she has, she has so many photos. 
you know, the photos that Lydia has, because she also, like you, had that right from the start kind of vantage point and an angle that none of us could possibly imagine. Absolutely. And that's, I think, why her book is so great. Yeah. When they did the Japan tour, you know, uh, it's just some of the greatest. Lydia is just such, just a dear friend and just one of the greatest ladies I've ever uh, had a chance to be friends with. And uh, she's that talented. But uh, she was there, and she knew what she was doing. Now, here's a, a quick Lydia. There's two uh, two idols I always wanted to meet, work with or just meet. I didn't care. Steve McQueen, John Wayne. I never met either one of them, never worked with either one of them. But to this day, they're still my idol. I watch John Wayne marathons all the time. Well, Lydia is accepting the award, People's Choice Award, for best being the number one or big hit of the year. Right. Okay. Who's backstage? John Wayne. Uh, They're talking. She's shaking her hand. He puts his arm around her. I said, I'll be damned. (laughs) And I was dear friends with John Wayne's stunt double. I would sit at his house for hours listening to John Wayne's stories. Now I'm going to finish this up real quick. Hung over to death, flying out of Chicago (laughs) for the Home Alone 2 premiere party. Now, there's going to be another big premiere party in L.A. So, <laughs> so junk and whatever, get to L.A. My wife and two little daughters, they're waiting, and now we're going to see Home Alone 2 again. Well, I sit down, and I realize one of my favorite actors of all time because of John Wayne was Maureen O'Hara. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, she's there with Anthony Quinn because they're going to do a... <clears throat> A John Hughes film. I forget the name of their neighbors. Anthony Quinn loves her. And just gorgeous woman. You know, just gorgeous. And such the nicest. And I explained to her how, what a fan I am. And everything about her. I said, my favorite film was The Quiet Man. Quiet Man, yeah. She sat there 15 minutes and told me every detail about the fight in the town. And him dragging her through the field and the lady giving her giving a stick to hit her with, you know, and she explained all of it, every relatives in that fight and the haste. And I said, I'm listening to Marina O'Hara talk about one of my favorite films on earth. I died. I got sober. Listening to it. <laughs> and then some fool came up, had to take her away, which I understand. Wow. But I've had, I've had some highlights. I'll give you Wait, one Leon, tell Matt about the time you and Ace went to Studio 54. Well, I don't remember turned, that one. They turned him away. <laughs> oh. No, I don't remember that one. I always got in Studio 54 with Kiss, or they thought I was Barry Manilow. <laughs> <laughs> turned, Matt, I'm, I'm serious. My dear dead wife, when she just started working, you know, for, for O'Coin Management, we're at a Mexican restaurant. And a lady comes up, interrupts us at dinner, Bill, Melanie, and me. And she says, oh, Mr. Manlow, I'm sorry to bother you, but can I have your, your autograph? I said, please, I'm not Barry Manlow. She said, I know I'm bothering you. I said, look, I'll prove it. And I started singing Mandy. Oh, Mandy, you came in. And she said, oh, you're just, you're just kidding with me. And Bill So to end the Barry Manlow story, I was going to another little acting school once a week besides their playhouse and the bar next to it, Barry's mother was always get there and be drunk. And they went crazy how I looked like Barry Manlow. <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay. 
Well, one week, there she was, drunk. They said, this is the guy we're talking about that looks like your son. And she's drunk. She says, oh, my son's so much better looking. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what, lady. When your son gets married, I'll pay for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Which wasn't nice, but it, it wasn't nice to say, but I just couldn't take it. But that's a true story about 54. <laughs> you know, and then you, for years, they had to wear masks walking around. You told me that you and Ace went to go to Studio 54, but they turned him away because they thought he was homeless the way he was dressed. Ugh. Well, could be. Could be. I, I might have been on drugs and not remember it. It was, it was very debauchery time in the 70s in New York City. Great time, a lot of fun, but quite sick. It, it really was. But it's, there's not a city like in the world. I lived there for eight years. You know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Well, and you know, the real thing is... I was going to say, you mentioned um, Home Alone 2. I mean, obviously, anybody that doesn't know, I mean, you have dozens and dozens of movies in your credits that, you know, and names people would know. I mean, obviously, you mentioned The Warriors, but like Starship Troopers and Predator and Commando and Roadhouse and Home Alone. Talk about what are some of your, and you did talk earlier about how a couple times maybe you got a concussion. What were some of the stunts that you You remember? got a concussion? I probably had 30. (laughs) That's that's, That's why I have dementia. Uh, yeah. Like the hockey players, the football players. So yeah, I've had five concussions. I said, "You chicken chick, <laughs> I've had at least thirty. You know, I went to the hospital three times in the same week doing doing eighteen as the same emergency crew, the same nurses. <laughs> uh, they take an X-ray. Said, "Damn, that's a bad whiplash." I said, "But I didn't hit my head." He said, "What did you do?" And I explained, you know, I, I jumped the car, generally or whatever. And my head snapped forward. He said, a whiplash is just like a concussion or even worse. No. I said, now, we're, now we make sense. <laughs> the point is, I wouldn't trade my career for anything. You know, I might, I might hallucinate now and, and, and see shit, but I still wouldn't trade the adventure we've had. Let me tell you real quick. My wife and I, the Plaza Hotel, when Trump owned it, when I moved to New York, I'd sit across from the plaza. We could not afford to go in the plaza. Then we finally could afford to go and have one drink and one uh, hors d'oeuvre. That's all we could afford. Fifteen years later, we're staying in a suite overlooking Central Park doing Home Alone 2. Wow. I said, can you believe this shit? But only in the business, whether it be rock and roll, whatever. And I don't know what business is worse, the movie business or the music business. <laughs> when you're on the upside and, and the good things, you know, they're probably equal. But the underbelly of them, it, it really is disgusting, Matt. Uh, it made a great living for me, but the things I've seen, and I know when, when people say, I'm an actor, and I'd say, aren't we all? Right. <laughs> now, real quick, when my best friend, Dick Armstrong, the greatest second unit director, coordinator in film history, Proven Guinness's book world record, but my best friend, and we're at the, it's not even there anymore. The Ivy in West Hollywood. My wife Vic and I we go to dinner, and my wife had lobster, and she went to the bathroom. They took her plate away. Well, she's one of the few people who likes to eat that green shit in the tail. <laughs> it looked disgusting to me, but she loved it. When she saw our dish was gone, she ran in the kitchen and got it out of the you know wherever they had it. <laughs> so we laugh about that. So. We're now going into the bar for a nightcap. We got a limo, so we don't have to worry about a DUI. 
And I'm explaining to Bill, every waiter and waitress you see here are actors. And Dick said, that bullshit. I said, okay, let me prove something. So we had a beautiful 24, 25-year-old waitress, gorgeous. I said, young lady, you know, where are you from? She says, Iowa, okay. Uh, are you a waitress? Is that your career? I said, no, I'm, I want to be an actress. <laughs> <laughs> so I look at Vic, we didn't laugh. And I said, you know, if I can ask, I know it's, you shouldn't ask women how old you are, but how old are you? Says, how old do you think I look? And I said, 24, 25. And Vic said, 26. My wife said, 40. Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, in, in that story, we left. <laughs> but then my wife smiled us off 40. Uh, it was great shit. You can't make this up, Matt. <laughs> How mad about Total Recall and, and Arnold Schwarzenegger? Well, Arnold, you understand he's a shit puppy. A very sick puppy. Anytime you can have a kid with your maid and have them live under the same roof as your wife and kids for nine years, that that's all a thing shit. That that's all a fine all a fame moral shit. <laughs> I mean but that was Arnold. You know, plain and simple. Now he would call everybody a F and forehead. <laughs> plain and simple. Now we're in Mexico City for six months. Now, Sharon Stone, who I'm not a big fan, I've worked with her several times. And they're improvising the fight scene they're going to do, do when Vic's wife's going to double Sharon. You know, uh, no, she's going to double Rachel Ticketon, who plays the bat, the, the head of the, the who, want, who want to throw over uh, Ronnie Cox, so I double the bad guy. Anyway, Arnold grabs her, and she went ape shit, kicking everything. Well, the makeup people said there's a thin line from ear to ear under uh, her chin, which could only be somebody tried to kill her with a piano wire mm. or whatever. But she went ape shit. <laughs> so, uh, well, Arnold got even with her. Don't ever worry about Arnold not <laughs> coming back. Now, here's the quick one. We're in Mexico City, working six days a week, 12 hours a day. So Saturday night was a great drunk night. We got drunk every night, but Saturday night especially. And then play tennis all day on top of the roof, Nico Hotel. Well, Maria Reeshriver's wife comes down, she's seven months pregnant. It looks like she's 12 months pregnant. And she comes down with her brothers, the Shriver boys. And Arnold's talking to him and he points to me. And they come over to me and say, Where's the women? I said, God, is that not a Kennedy? (laughs) 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 Well, anyway, we go out to dinner that night. And there's Arnold, Maria, all the European stuntmen, Dick and me. We're at a fondue place, you know, where you dip the cheese in and all that shit. Because that's where Arnold's background is, Austria. And we're talking, and all, all of a sudden Arnold lifts his leg and blows out a three-octave part <laughs> that the whole room could have heard. And I think myself, Schwarzenegger and a Kennedy. And Maria said, oh, Arnold. <laughs> So he got one girl that could care less about him farting on her. The three brothers that only want women. It's a hell of it's a hell of a Kennedy bunch. Tell them about tennis. Tell them about tennis. The what? Tell tell Matt about tennis with Arnold. Oh well, we we had a halfway through the film party, and I'm saying drunk. I mean, every cable had tequila, you name it. And we're all drunk as skunks. Our makeup guy 
they poured a whole beer in his crotch. He never moved. <laughs> so point being is we were all pretty twisted. But it's Sunday. We have off. We wake up, have a few uh, Mai Tais or whatever to help us out. Well, I haven't put my head at a beautiful hotel, Nico. Beautiful hotel. Arnold calls me. I said, what? He said, forehead, get everybody up on the roof, play tennis. I said, Arnold, you were drunker than me. I haven't put my head down for 15 minutes. What the hell's wrong with you? Shut up, forehead, get everybody up. So I call everybody. We staggered up there. And we're playing tennis, and he cheated like hell. If the <laughs> ball was out, he would say, in. Don't tell me, forehead. So he's the star. Anything he wants. So I said, Arnold, i got to ask you. You are as drunk as all of us. But it's like you don't even have a drink. You're that spry. You're that excited. Why? He said, I forgot. I had a meeting with three Japanese businessmen. They gave me $25 million for a commercial. <laughs> I hang over left. I said, well, let, me, let me tell you something, Arnold, you asshole. Give all of us 25 grand. That will help our hangover. We'll have a good day. <laughs> oh, shut up, forehead, and play. <laughs> you can't make that up. They gave me $25 million and my hangover left. You mother. So one, other, one other thing, Leon. You wanted me to remind you to tell you, Matt, about American Bandstand with you and Sean. <laughs> I think I told you this one, but back in the late 50s, I was probably in seventh grade. You know, my brother's uh, ninth grade, so freshman in high school. And this one, Dick Clark had his American bandstand in Philadelphia. And, and uh, we all rush home, and uh, we're one of the few homes out of television, and we're all crowded around. It's like a 10 inch screen, and the television thing is eight feet. You know, that's how the old televisions were back in the day. Right. So we're watching, and this is only three networks, ABC, NBC, CBS. And at midnight, they would play the Star Spangled Banner, and that was it, till 6 o'clock next morning. That's how it was. So my, my brother, who is good-looking as hell, great dancer, great everything, he talked to a couple of his buddies to go to Philadelphia and be on American Bandstand. So we're all excited because we know he's going to be there. So it comes on, and you see him in the background, and da 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 And one thing led to another all of a sudden, Sean's on the A camera, and fists started flying. Oh. <laughs> Sean, he's throwing punches, you know, at his buddies, and they cut away to commercial. And <laughs> Dick Clark came back and said, well, sorry, but, you know, sometimes young, young people get out of control, so I apologize for that. Well, my mother's mortified, but we can't wait to hear the story when he gets home. Back in the day, they had three couples that were the stars. It was like Annette Funicello and Frank Gavlon and Beach, whatever. And they were the stars of each American bandstand. I mean, you had other dancers behind them, but they got most of the camera. They had stars on the floor. So my brother pushes the kid off the star, <laughs> and he starts dancing in front of the camera. <laughs> and that's where the fight broke out. It is fun shit. Now, 20-some-odd years later, at Bill's house in L.A., you know, it's one of his homes, there's a party, and Dick Clark's there. And I said, do you remember this? He said, Leon, like it was yesterday. Because this was live television. <laughs> I said, well, you know, that was my brother. He said, yeah, I, I've heard that story over the years. So that's a Dick Clark and whatever. Oh. But I can also so say this. The Home Alone 2 pre-party, they brought us in a day early, big party, 
Dick Clark's assistant, Kathy or Casey or whatever, was there. Well, she was a hell of a girl that night at the plaza. <laughs> I don't know why I'm laughing. But I got to know her <laughs> intimately. Now, the other stuntman, okay, was very successful now. I'm not going to mention name. I said, I lived here for eight years. Whatever you do, do not pick up one of these hookers in this block area. <laughs> don't. They're robbers, thieves, killers. Don't. I lived here eight years, I know. Well, anyway, <laughs> the next morning, we're going to the set, and he's all embarrassed. I said, what happened? Oh, she robbed me, took my <laughs> wallet, took everything. I said, I told you. Well, the doorman, one of the doormen at the plaza, got the top hat on and, and all that stuff. He's listening to us, and he starts laughing. I said, what are you laughing about? He said, Leah, it's not the point that she robbed him, but she's the ugliest one of them all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, no. So, no, so my son, but he said, Leah, don't tell anybody. I said, I won't. <laughs> I couldn't get to the set quick enough with Dan Stern and Pesci and the director and everybody to tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> I keep thinking I'm going to hold this in. You're nuts. So when the poor man said, forget the robbery, she was the ugliest. Now, I'm going to give you one more about this fuck man, okay? I know him like a rock. I can see his beady eyes stare down on somebody. Now, he has a girl. This is way before he's married. He has a girl, but I can see him looking over my shoulder, and I follow his gaze. He loves African-American women. Love them. Okay, and who is and this? I, the other stunt man. Okay. I won't mention names. But anyway, she gets up and leaves. My buddy gets up and leaves. The date after 20 minutes asking, well, where is he? I said, he's like talking in California. Blah, 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 blah. Well, anyway, <laughs> anyway, before the night was over, he told, told me what happened. He said, she's taking a shower. I'm in bed. I'm waiting. And also, I see something fly across the room. I follow it. It was a wig. And she comes out of the shower with rubber bands and pigtails in her hair. Because <laughs> <laughs> he loved the Diana Ross hair. And he said, oh, Leon, don't you tell anybody. I said, I promise. I couldn't get this that quick enough. <laughs> you, you can't make this up, Matt. You, 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 you really can't. So I've had a I've had a great adventure, some bad times, some great times. Uh, it's just all good stuff. You know, you you've know, had uh, an amazing adventure, and I'm just curious. Do you remember, like, what was maybe the most dangerous stunt that you did in your career? Well, I had a few, <laughs> but I'll just I'll just parlay one. I'll parlay two. My wife was seven months pregnant. I think we had eighty dollars in the bank, mm. and we're doing the eighteen pilot in a little mountain village outside Acapulco, Mexico, for three weeks. And we're doing stunts, like, we're going to make a paycheck, everything's going to be, you know. And also, a dear friend who, who died a few years ago, he was supposed to do the second pipe ramp, and he said, nah, I've already done one. Five pipe ramps, that's flipping the car over. Okay? And it's all Jeeps. And the 18's throwing hand grenades off the back of the truck. <laughs> right. Blowing the Jeeps up. And and Bobby Orson, who's just my godfather, my everything, taught me how to be a great, uh, a better stuntman. And he said, "Now nah, let Leon do it. We'll get him through it." He said, yeah. "So my the boss said, okay." So he said, "Now only hit second gear when you hit this ramp." 
Well, when I get closer to the ramp, bombs going off, they tell me about the explosions. Stuntmen are at the end of the pipe ramp. It's it's a ramp that's eight feet long, five feet high, okay, with a 24-inch kicker at the end, at the top of the ramp. So when you hit it, you're going to get airborne. Mm. So I'm still 100, 200 feet away. And I said, hell with this. If I mess up, might as well kill myself doing it. <laughs> so, I, so I shifted to third. And all the stunt guys in the crowd, my boss, said, what was that? He said, God, he shifted to third. And I hit it, and it was just perfect. It was the best of all five of them. And that made my career. Now, Freddie Heiss, who was the coordinator of Home Alone, and I worked with him many times. We're going back to the hotel. It takes an hour from the Mountain Village back to the hotel on Acapulco. And Freddie said, Leon, what did you think when you got airborne? I said, well, Freddie, I thought I was going to die. Mm. <laughs> so I'm going to give you the, the best fun I'm known for. It's called the suicide jump on Total Recall. Now, prior to that, I broke my ankle in four places on Roadhouse, Patrick Swayze. And I crushed it in two places, broke it in four, got seven-inch blades, seven screws, da-da-da-da-da. And it took me months to heal up. Still limped a bit, but still took me months to heal up. And uh, the doctor said, Leon, if you break your ankle with this hardware in, there's nothing I can do. We have to fuse your ankle to 90 degrees, and that's how you're going to walk the rest of your life. Oh. Now, my daughters were young. Now, we only worked two days outside. All the rest were 120 sets built on 10 sound stages at Cherubusco Studios in Mexico City. Two days outside. The first day, we went down 300 feet. You know, if you ever watch Total Recall again, just watch the ending when, when me, Diego Hagen, get sucked out. Then Arnold gets sucked out, and his uh, terrorist girlfriend gets sucked out. So the three of us. And I always went first, and I said to Vic, why do I have to go first in all this stuff? <laughs> you can flip it on editing. He said, come on, Leon. You know, we like you to go first. I said, well, thank you. I'm the test pilot. <laughs> well, 300 feet up, when I finally got up there, it took me 25 minutes, huffing and puffing. It's a mile over to sea level, Mexico City. I'm dying. And I finally get the, the walkie-talkie, and I can't talk. It's <laughs> so after I caught my breath, I told Vic I'm ready, but they look like ants They're so far away at 300 wow. feet down, down the, the true steep side, side hill. Okay, I bury the walkie-talkie. Let's go action. Well, I stood up and dove. <laughs> so once I got steep, I'm losing my shoes 30 feet in the air. It's ripping my jackets off. I ended up almost butt naked. You know, <laughs> and what they were laughing so much, because it wasn't sound, this is a second unit. But every time I got airborne and hit, I would say, oh, I won't say the dirty word, oh, blank me, blank me, blank me, on landing. <laughs> and it took me 10 minutes to, to finally stand. Well, I say to Vic, I said, Vic, why couldn't we do that little cliff jump they're going to do tomorrow, today, instead of this thing? Well, anyway, the American stunt girl chickened out. She had to stay with Arnold's double to make the shot work. Well, you had five cameras going, and they see Arnold's double. They don't see the girl. And they look up, and she's still sliding down on her butt 250 feet up. Wow. I said, they cut the cameras and fire her. Mm. That's embarrassing, because she knew the shot. Well, anyway, Simon Crane ended up... <laughs> And ended up a great stuntman, 
he, he, he coordinated Titanic. We'll let you know is his where he went. But anyway, he gets to the girls' clothes and he runs up three hundred feet like a mountain goat. Took two minutes. <laughs> so Dick said, "We I think we have to do it again. Can you do it one more time?" I said, yeah, Vic. Well, I get halfway up, huffing and puffing, and Arnold says, Leon, I want to talk to you forehead. And I can't talk. <laughs> and they're, just to, for them to laugh, okay, we do it again, that's fine. But here comes the next day. Remember, the doctor said, if I break my ankle, um, I'm screwed. So it's a 100-foot-high cliff. And I think a cat has a picture with their cell phone, or I'll send you one. But anyway... <clears throat> We're walking maybe 50 yards, Vic and I. We're looking at the, the terrain. And every 10 feet, it would change from 80 degrees to 30 degrees to 20 degrees back to 70 degrees. It was nuts. I said, Vic, we're losing the light. Hell with it. Just put a, a four by eight piece of plywood where the cameras are on the edge and let's go. <laughs> wow. I, I take off. And what I thought was going to be like a 60 degree, I looked down and the whole damn side hill fell off. Oh, said, I, I got pictures of it. I cleared 85 feet. Wow. Okay? But it was kind of soft the first foot and a half. So you could have come in feet first, but I was going to do that. So I went to my back, <laughs> mm. <laughs> knocked my ass out. I thought I said, I thought I was paralyzed for 10 minutes. <laughs> they had to light a cigarette for me. I was shaking so much. I'm throwing up. I'm like, what the hell? Well, Vic said, you, you never do that again. I said, Vic, you think I did that on purpose? Oh. <laughs> but to this day, it's called the suicide jump. Wow. And even to this day, when, you, when you're mentioned in film, something you've done, you know, that's a, a big feather in your cap. This has been going on for 100 years, <laughs> you know, and film, and film slang, okay? And any big gag that comes up, they say the Home Alone's up. They, yes, call it the, they call it the home loan. So very proud of that like, one, Matt. If you remember, Leon, when we were living together in Boston, and it was during Christmas, and we were watching Home Alone, and on the bottom of the screen, it gave commentary of interviews with the cast. And um, what's his name um, that, you, that you doubled? Dan Stern. Yeah, Dan, Daniel Stern sat there and it was a whole like it went on for like five minutes Leon Delaney, Leon Delaney and Leon yeah. was like oh my god I can't believe this and no. I ended up getting, getting Leon um, <laughs> the copy of the DVD so we had the interview. Wow. Real, real, real quick, after Home Alone I went to Fort Lauderdale for six months coordinating Cape Fear Scorsese, De Niro Nolte, you know that bunch Eight Academy Award winners in that film. Six months, Fort Lauderdale. Well, after it was over, okay, well, real quick, I talked to office girls to go see with me Silence of the Lamb. I said, any time a film can get close to the book, it's going to be a great film. My godfather was the closest to the book. So I said, if they can pull this off, this is going to be a great film. So we go to a fourplex. Now, remember, we did, the Home Alone was released in November. And this is April. And we get to the fourplex. There must be a thousand kids in line. And I look up and see Home Alone. Well, I'd ask the kids, you know, well, I've seen it 20 times. I've seen it 30 times. They said, whoa. I called my wife said, what's the gross on this? 
She said, $290 million. Wow. I said, well, hello, Home Alone. It's <laughs> like total recall had 200 So the more SAG members to get the share of the residual pie were the only ones to make a movie like that with basically two stuntmen, hmm. the burglars. Wow. Well, anyway, word got, word got around. And next night, we're doing a fight scene where the arrow's going to get the shit beat out of them. They'll be fighting like a little rat. There must be a thousand people behind the lines. And Nolte and I are, are walking back to the, the trailers. And also there's a, in the crowd, there he is, there he is, there he is. And Nick starts waving to him. <laughs> and the kid said, there he is, the home alone stuntman. <laughs> I, said, I said, Nick, you can't get it all. <laughs> uh, Premier, I, I think it's Premier Magazine. Real quick, Premier Magazine. A stunt buddy said, is this, called me and said, is this the famous stuntman Delaney on Home Alone? No, uh, Dan Stern mentioned me a hundred times in his Premier Magazine article. And st- actors don't do that. You know, they don't talk about their stunt double. Right. So that's very nice. Well, now Home Alone's a huge hit. Now Dan's on Good Morning America, okay, with Joe London. Well, I had my wife, I got my coffee, I said, here we go, there's Dan. And he does this interview and never mentions my name once. Uh. <laughs> and when we saw Home Alone 2 start Home Alone 2, I mentioned that to him. He said, now, Leon, remember this. You do cable. I do national. It was still very, very nice of Dan. Great, great adventure, great times, great laughter. You know, and I will say Home Alone, in total recall, is the most fun I ever had. <laughs> on camaraderie, drinking, debauchery, you name it. It was absolutely fun only getting paid for it. So That's that, fantastic. That's so like do you ever do you ever <laughs> sit and watch your old movies? Like do you which ones do you sit and watch? Like everybody says, What's your favorite movie? But do you ever sit and watch a movie and go, There I, I am? Well well Matt, let's hope you never have dementia. Okay? Because <laughs> I'm really I'm really wrapped into Chicago Fire. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, I know that sounds stupid, but if something's up, you know, I'll watch it. Like Roadhouse, I'll watch just because I love uh, Patrick Swayze and I were such good friends, you know, way before he even made it. He's just such a good guy. So, yes, the answer to that, Matt, is, is, is yes. You know, if, it, if it's on and playing. But, you know, Home Alone, that was 30 years ago. Mm. Now, a real quick story of Pride. My grandsons are seven and nine. And my daughter, who lives in San Diego, uh, she texted me, said, Dad, are you there? Me? I'm here. I'm listening. <laughs> We're listening to every word here. Uh, no, no, but she texted me, said, Dad, uh, Curran, C-U-R-R-E-N, told this yeah. teacher that I did stunts on Home Alone. <laughs> So it's just like my son in Spanish work when he's in third grade talking about his uncle and kiss. Well, they right. called him a liar. Oh, and yeah. my brother, no, my brother and I, we got on a three-way with I, him. <laughs> my brother let him have it. He said, you stupid SOB, is it possible? Is it imaginable that somebody could leave Utah and become successful? You <laughs> 30 years. <laughs> anyway. So the teacher texted my daughter and said that Kern mentioned that his grandfather did stunts on Home Alone, and I'm just checking. So basically, 
you know, think Kern's <laughs> shooting the shit. Right. And Nicole, who is Kern's age, watching us do Home Loan 2 at the plaza, she said, yep, that's true. And the teacher says, well, it makes perfectly good sense. He is the most athletic, good-looking, crazy kid I've ever taught. <laughs> so, of course, he has DNA stuntman. Right. So, so the oldest grandson, two years older, they have a, a history thing for their ancestors. You know, whatever you find in your great-grandfather, whatever. Well, I sent Nicole asked me for pictures on the cell phone, and they blew him up to 11 by 14. He took all those eight teams and home alone until a recall jumped to the class to show him the ancestry of his grandfather. Wow. <laughs> well, that was very, it's very nice for me, you know, to, to, to leave something like that. It reminds me of very quick, when the kids were in elementary school, we Chatsworth, California, lived right across from the greatest elementary school ever, public. Well, they would do a, a, a one day a year. They would do a occupation day or whatever. And uh, they, they, my daughter asked me, "Would I do it?" So I showed them how to do a film fight, explain things to them, and whatnot. Well, the next year, firemen, airline pilots, doctors—they all said to the principal, "Whatever you do, I'm not going to follow the sun." Anyway, the next year. Okay, this is after this is after Home Alone two. Okay, I'm there doing it again, showing the punches. And then there's two back doors that go out to a, a courtyard. So here's the kids. I show them the old film fight, answer questions, whatnot. This little uh, uh, what a fourth grader he said, Mister Delaney, when you got kicked in the nuts, did that hurt? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to turn. I had to turn away, but I'm watching the teachers and the assistants bailing out the back door. And I said, "No." And I, I, I finally gathered it up. I said, "No, we had pads on. It was okay." But what do you, what do you expect? You got kicked in the nuts. Did that hurt? I'm like, jeez. Now, a couple minutes later, a little Jewish boy. I have many oh. Jewish friends. He said, Mr. Laney, how much you make? I'm <laughs> yeah. serious. So I get one, did you get kicked in the nuts that it hurt? And two, how much do you make? <laughs> well, needless to say, that was my last. Uh, uh. Now, this is how jaded California is. You mentioned you're a film stuntman actor. Whatever. Who isn't? That's LA. That's the capital. Right. Everybody knows somebody that's in the damn film business. It didn't matter what film I was doing. It didn't matter. Okay? Nobody cared. Because their kids have agents. They have agents. Nobody cared. <laughs> well, I get back from home. I get back from home long, too. And they had to, to curl my hair, you know, like Dan's. I mean, just permanent crazy. Right. So the only way you can get it out is let it grow out. Now, picture me. I got this huge Afro curly hair looking like a clown. <laughs> <laughs> My buddy, uh, who I played basketball with, uh, who was one of the cast members of General Hospital, a soap opera. So he gets me a part with another son buddy, and we do a fight scene in South Texas. And doing the hoochie-coochie two-step. So we do this fight scene, and it's hysterical. The girl flies off this guy's shoulder, and she lands. I'm already down. I'm already knocked out. And she lands right at my face. And she says to the director, Leon's looking up my dress. I'm like, oh, shit. 
Well, anyway, with soap <laughs> operas, now the fight's over. We're in oh, South yeah, Texas. Now, I'm, I got a neck brace on, and we're in court. And the my name's Skeeter. He said, Skeeter, how much longer are you going to have that neck brace on until you're better? Now, you can only overact. You cannot overact enough on a soap opera. So this was my chance. I said, I well. Have, I have, well, not to cut you off, Leon, yeah. well, I have somewhere the VH, VHS tape of that. Uh, because you gave it to me. Hold on. Anyway, he asked me this question, how long, Cousin Skeeter? I said, well, Uncle, it might be five weeks. It may be six weeks. But you had to see my face saying it. <laughs> I got four fan letters welcome me. To, I got four fan letters welcome me to General Hospital. <laughs> but every woman came up to my wife and said, "Was that Leon on General Hospital?" Oh my gosh! <laughs> That's the business. What can I say? So I'm sitting here in this assisted living in Las Vegas, looking at my cat sleeping and talking to dear cat and you, Matt. And uh, I, was there any other things, Kat, that we had written I down? You also, I have, I found, because I just moved, I have, and, uh, you know, Tobras, get in touch with me. I can mail it to him if you want, or I can hold on to it. I have the VHS tape that was given to you and the cast from Home Alone. Right. So the the whole, like, outtakes and everything. I, I did find well, that. So I, I'll, I'll give you one quick. Told me to hold one on quick to outside. You remember Home Alone One, the pink end scene on the stairs? Sure. Well, I'm the first one that gets hit. <laughs> Off to go to my back, twelve feet, boom. Oh. And then Troy turns around. He gets hit, spins around, and lands on top of me. Right. Okay. They did it right. You know, he took it all in the forearms and knees. And didn't get hurt. They yell cut. And Troy throws a lip block on me like you couldn't believe. <laughs> We're going up and down. They, they planned this, that, you know, for an outtake. So we did it again, right? I, I thought to myself, if Troy thinks he got me on this one, he's wrong. So we did it again. Okay, he lands on me. They all cut. I throw my legs around them. And a death grip, I won't let go with my tongue down his throat. And we're rolling. We're rolling three times back, three times the other way. The crew's laughing their ass off. It was a good day for for humor. These are fantastic stories. These are fantastic stories. I mean, it's, oh. it's so entertaining. And I mean, it's funny because they're, they're movies that everybody knows. You know, everyone on the planet has seen Home Alone and knows exactly that scene you're talking about. This would made Home Alone. I'm playing basketball in L.A. with my buddy. So I played college basketball for a little while. And that's how I stayed in shape up until I was 55. But I get a call over the intercom. And it's Freddie Heiss in Chicago. They said, Leon, you got to get on the plane tonight. you got to be in Chicago tomorrow. I'm doing this little Christmas movie about a kid being left home alone. I said, well, I said Freddie, I don't give a shit. It's a paycheck. I'm there. <laughs> so we get to the set the next night. Now, remember, it's January outside in Chicago. And I get to the set, and I never met this young stuntman before. Never heard of his name. Didn't know anything about him. Well, I found out a lot about him over the years. Ex-bull writer from Wyoming. Anyway, we're walking to the set, the house, the home loan house. And every crew member 
shit, every neighbor, it seemed like. Anybody lived in Winnetka came out of the house, asked Troy how he could not be in the hospital, how can he be walking, how can he be standing, and just da 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 And I said, Freddie, can I speak to you in private around this truck? I said, excuse me, Freddie, what did this kid do last night? He said, Leon, we didn't know he was going to do it. He grabbed that doorknob that was hot. He took off. He was eight feet in the air and landed on his back on the sidewalk. Oh. I said, well, Freddie, I can't thank you enough. Because if I come up short, the crew's going to think I'm a weak heart. <laughs> now, who's doing, who's doing the basement <laughs> stair fall tomorrow night? Troy? <laughs> so anyway, anyway I'm, I'm sleeping in my trailer, 3.30, 4 o'clock. I got my pads on. Bang, 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 bang. You know when you're sound asleep and you're, well, you say, oh, shit. Probably hungover, but who gives a shit? Uh, being, hangover, being hungover on home loan was great because it took the curse off. <laughs> so you think I'm going to do this over? You're nuts. <laughs> anyway, time to do the stair fall. 30 steps, steep. I mean, nuts. But I thought myself as an athlete. I kept my feet up, and let my back landed on the edge of the step. Oof. I would act like a sled. It was perfect. Absolutely perfect. My feet hit the bottom door so hard, damn, they knocked the door in. Oh. Well, I look up. There's 30 people looking down at me, crew members, whatever. And you can hear a pin drop. I'm not thinking to myself, you think I'm going to do this again? You're full of shit. <laughs> yeah. They said, Leon, are you okay? I said, yeah. Well, they want eight shit. God, Leon, that was, that was higher than Troy's. Well, that set the tone for Home Alone. Mm. But before the stair fall, I said to Freddie Heiss, I said, Freddie, you know, I've been in this business a long time, so have you. Is that a little dark down there? Have they lit it enough that they'll catch this? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Three days later, God, Leon, we got to do it again. It was too dark. Uh. <laughs> but now, now I'm cocky. I got this solved in. Let's go. I take off, and I land and never move. All you hear is, <laughs> So I get back to number one. I said, I said, Freddie, if we don't do it now in 10 seconds, I'm not doing it again, so let's go. He said, no. He said, the director wants to look at the video. They said, we can cut it. You don't have to do it again. And I said, thank you, because I meant it. We don't go off in 10 seconds. I'm not going again. <laughs> but I, I did that thing. I was a smart ass, and all you heard was, uh. <laughs> real, real quick, remember when they, they got on the rope going to the toy house on that uh, yeah, yeah, right. rope? And all of a sudden, he has the scissors, and Joe says to Dan, turn around, get back, get back. Okay? Well, Troy and I, they're on pads. They're actually walking on pads, Joe and Dan, the actors. So Troy and I are like 12 feet in the air. And we're on a quick release. So when the rope snaps, leads up to swinging into the wall and mm. cuts. Well, anyway, we did it three times. And on the fourth time, Troy nudged me. And I missed the pad and went to the frozen grass. Oh. And you can't see me, but they kept the audio running. And Freddie runs in, Leon, are you okay? And all he could hear me with my breath knocked out is, Freddie, this is beginning to suck. <laughs> 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 so it, a lot of good, a lot of good memories. And Troy now is one of the most successful coordinators in the business. He does the LA uh, uh, NCIS LA. You know, beautiful family, beautiful everything. So it all worked out. So I still young son, man. If I can only give you advice, and but like Freddie, Freddie, I said, don't worry about it, Leon. They don't do stunts anymore. That they get concussions. It's all wires. It's right. all green screen. Yeah. I mean, Freddie, in, in his last interview, he said, this is probably the last two real stunts you've ever seen men do. 
with yeah. no wires and matrix. But that's what made Home Alone funny. And Chris Columbus, the director, he said, of all the films I've done, and he's done the, the what was it, the Cali thing. No, the kids in England at the Magic Castle. Right, the uh, the whole uh, Mag- Harry Potter, that whole series, right? Yeah, he did the first Harry Potter. He did a lot of kid movies. You know, like we did Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, that Chris directed. But Chris said, uh, my entire career, I've never been part of the last 20 minutes of a film like I did in Home Alone. I've never yeah. seen an audience with that crazy <laughs> laughter. I mean, just, I'm laughing. The kids are laughing. I know why I'm laughing. So, then, real quick, they tell us that they gave Dan Stern and Pesci brand new Porsches. Wow. As a thank you. I had a dream that night that FedEx came over and gave me a check for $250,000 as a thank you. <laughs> Made sense to me. Right. right? Where's your Porsche, <laughs> Leon? Did, did he, did he, did he no, give you one? No, this is two hundred fifty grand in my dream. <laughs> and I woke up. I woke up, I was so bumped out when I realized it was a dream. I tried to go back to sleep. Uh. <laughs> and I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you something. You know, I've, I've had the honor, you know, of being best friends with Leon, you know, since 2013, 14. And, you know, moving to, you know, before moving to Fort Lauderdale from Boston, you know, working at conventions, you know, expos with Leon, the Warriors, you know, I'm very lucky. Chiller Theater. You know, but um, I'll never forget, and this is how, you know, it's not just Home Alone, it's, you know, it's just not that. It's, it's kids that love that and love the movies, not just Home Alone. That I don't know if you remember this, Leon, but we were in Boston at a Megafest Comic-Con, right. and this Sheerold came up, to Leon and said, Mr. Delaney, I'm a huge fan. Um, it's not Home Alone, it's the Warriors. And his parents stood behind him and handed him, because Troy, um, I think Troy was supposed to be with you. Yeah, it he was wanted not to make the Warriors, but it was also Home Alone. Right. But he came and he handed over to, um, he made um, Fury's keychains for Leon. Wow. And he yeah, was like, Years old, and he said, "These are for you." And, and the parents, you know, but he was talking to Leon, so I went behind, and you know, when I went over, I said, "Are you his parents?" And he said, "Yeah." And the mother got all emotional and was like, "He, yeah, he very it. nice, very nice." You know, I did a convention but here in he, Vegas, you know, yeah, a couple I years thought, ago. Yeah, and I and that was my my last one. They would get, they would actually pay me twenty five dollars a pick. Mm. For Warriors. Uh, Home Alone, I gave to the kids uh, I, here. I, I would, and I never did ever yeah. make a dime on, on Home Alone. Now, here's Cat and Mara. We're doing Chiller Theater. Okay, all the, the Furies are there. Okay, jam-packed. It was it? Yeah. New Jersey, whatever. Yeah. And Cat doing her socializing. She'd come <laughs> to our Warrior stand for like five minutes. They how's everything going? Grab some money and run to somebody she wanted to see. Whatever no, actor, whatever actor. Gave me a list, Leon. Huh? <laughs> you gave me a list of people that are going to be there, and you said, "Here's the list. Go say hello to them." Because this like I, I remember Catherine Bach. I remember, but during this time, you know Jerry who had died six months ago. 
Jerry, yeah, Jerry, yeah. No, he Jerry, just that, that, that weekend was epic. It, he sent down to pick something up in his living room and dropped dead. Yeah. Lucky bastard. Uh, anyway, anyway we're finishing you know, the first night at Chiller. Now, these kids walked around with V. Men the television series V? Sure. Yeah, V. Yeah, I know I Michael Ironside on the pilot a couple episodes. And I yeah. stopped them and they said, no. I said, well, I worked on V. You thought they saw God. But this was the topper that pissed me off because I very seldom truly get mad enough to fight. It's, it's, I never start a fight. This asshole came down dressed in a clown suit with a big sign on his chest, William H. Gacy, mm. you know, the serial yeah, killer. Sure. It just spooked me. It came up to the table, yeah. Oh. And I said, excuse me, you've got to leave because anybody's sick enough that wants to even be like him, yeah. I can't even look out now. If you don't leave, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. <laughs> he wanted to be a lot of... Who would now dress as his Gacy? Right. Uh, but the costumes there were fantastic. The guys in their their, their costumes and monster suits and everything. Wow. It's really fantastic. I, we did two of them at the chiller. Yeah, Captain picked her up yeah. and they stole it, the little bastards in the hallway. <laughs> but, you know, that, that one friend, it was interesting, and that was that. So anyway, any other kids' stories? I know I'm just boring the shit out of you. Well, you know what? One thing, I mean, obviously, before we wrap it up, I need to ask you one favor. If you will say the line from Phantom of the Park. Oh, are you ready? Ready. One, two, three. You're not allowed to smoke in here. (laughs) 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 If you could have have videotaped me, and they said you have six months to join I literally, literally, I had a car. I probably ran a hundred yards, so I realized I had a rental car. So I drove down there, two hundred and twenty-five dollars to join. <laughs> Today it's six thousand. Wow! To, to join. Back then there was I was a fifty, fifty-first, thirty thousand member, fifty-one thousand. Now there's hundred eighty thousand since they merged with After. I've That's never amazing. been out of insurance ever. Mm. So back in my day, at two twenty-five, you had to make uh, ten thousand dollars or seven thousand dollars. So for every year, I was always had insurance. Great insurance, by the way. Even today, my son says they see Medicare and whatnot, but once they see the Screen Actors Guild Blue Cross, they, their eyes lighten up. But anyway, today, you have to make $30,000 to qualify for medical. Now, back when I joined, 70% did not qualify for medical. I'm making $2,500, not $6,000, $2,500. 70% of membership did not make medical. That's how tough the business is. Wow. Now, now at $30,000, same thing, 70 or 80% still do not have medical. If you can believe it. So it's not a business to, to get in full time if you can't, uh, whatever. Now, one of my great times, the first year I was in L.A., I delivered liquor for the great delicatessen called Greenblatt's. I got, I got uh, information from Betty Davis, who's to pinch me in my butt, Sidney Portier, Jack Nicholson. 
I mean, I could just go on and on of the people I met. Jack Nicholson would uh, help me Delivering offload. beer and wine. Imagine yeah, that. Offload. Delivering uh, beer and wine and asking for pointers. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, thank you. And I'd ask for advice. Sydney Fortier said to me when I was walking out, he said, Mr. Blaney, I wish you all the luck in the world. I mean, I've been very lucky. Johnny Carson, the stingiest prick on earth. Then you deliver a bottle of champagne to Beverly Hills Hotel and a guy give you a hundred bucks. So it all worked out. Okay, but there's walking distance from our little apartment. I could always chop a sandwich off to the wife. So we always had little cash and, and food. So we're okay. But after I worked enough of Dukes of Hazard, I said, well, wait a second. Six episodes equals a year and a half delivering liquor. I said, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell Matt, tell Matt, Leon. What? About your first day on the set before you made the jump with Catherine Bach, what she did on the hood. Oh, oh, oh. Now, you understand, Catherine Bach in her prime had the best legs in the business. Sure. Trust And seeing her every day in those little, what do they call them, the Daisy Dukes. <laughs> Daisy Dukes, sure, it's right. She was attractive as hell anyway, but she had the greatest legs in, in the business. Now, it's my first day in... Hazard Square at Warner Brothers, we're doing a NASCAR chase, six of us going around the corner. You know, I, I got the job the day before to my buddy's father who ran the show. He said, Leon, can you drive? I said, yeah, I, I can drive. I practiced on money, but I can't drive like you want. He said, that's okay, kid. We'll teach you. <laughs> First thing I did is throw in a 90 out of Hazard Square, and thank God it worked. But I'm scared shitless. My so-called <laughs> friend I met on Warriors comes up to me and says, quote, what the F are you doing here? Well, uh. good to see you, too. <laughs> but the other great stuntman came up to me and explained about the 90, you know, uh, to help me out. The <laughs> Catherine Bach came out and said, yo, you must be the new stuntman. And she laid on my hood and crossed her legs. I damn near died. Welcome now, to I'm the Duke's Hazard. <laughs> I'm, 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 no, well, here's, a, here's a quick story about Catherine Bach. Now, this is my third season before 18, last season on Dukes, then 18 starts, never looked back. But anyway, we would double the sheriffs. We would double Uncle Jesse. We, would, we just ran around doubling. Hell, I even doubled Catherine in a, in a <laughs> car jump. You know, the wig on. And, but anyway, I had my door open in summertime, and Catherine walks by, and I'm just in my uh, underpants. And I was embarrassed, so I got dressed and ran over to her trailer, I have a room. She has a huge trailer. I knock on the door. She says, come in. She's standing there in her black panties and bra. Wow. Uh, it was a vision. I was tongue-tied. I didn't know what to say. She said, Leon, can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I apologize. I did not close my door. <laughs> Leon, I got six brothers. Don't worry about it. But it was a, it was a vision. Woo. Now, to end that one. She was married to a very successful lawyer, okay, had two uh, little girls, and her husband blew his brains out in front of their house. Ugh. Okay. He was in cahoots with the, the cartel, Mexican cartel, okay, and they threatened to kill his family if he didn't do what they say on this final deal. So he knew to save his family, he killed himself. Oh, wow. You're not going to read about that, by the way. But the captain admits it. But this day, she's on a soap opera, but she's still attractive. Now, a picture that just stunned me was on Facebook. 
Chris Christopherson at 86 years old. Yeah. yeah it, 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 it just scared me. Uh, you got Clint Eastwood at 90-something, you know, Ace now at 70, I'm mm. 75. But every generation, like my mother as a young girl, she was a, a flapper, you know, Charleston yeah, and all sure. that. So they had their own great time, you know, uh, doing the Charleston and, and the dance marathon. So every generation has their own statement. Like the, the zoo suitors, the Mexicans in the 50s, yeah, you're wearing those suits with the chains on the ground. You know, everybody had their own statement. Us as hippies in the 60s, long hair, you know, tie-dyed shirts, you know, whatever. So every generation, you know, has its own time. And this particular generation, I'm finished, you know, uh, had their time. Like the 60s, me had the best music. But every one of those groups, like the the, the Rolling Stones are going to die, everybody's going to die. You know, even Gene and, and Paulie are going to die. I'm going to die. So it's a whole new generation of new bands coming up or whatever. I don't listen to them. You don't help us. No, I just think it's the most fun in the 70s. Well, you know, really the nice thing, I mean, the fact that you have had such a legacy as far as, I mean, you talked about some stunts that are absolutely iconic, that everybody who knows movies knows those stunts. You know, that's, I mean, that's the nice thing is something like that. You know, you talk about, look, obviously nobody gets any younger, but things like that will live forever. Home Alone will never disappear. And I think there's something in that. It's like Kiss, the same way. The Kiss music will never disappear. Long after any of us that's listening to this podcast are gone, people are still going to listen to Kiss. They're still going to watch Home Alone, Predator, you know, Warriors. Somebody's going to lean into their friend and say, Warriors, come out and play. (laughs) Oh, well, all the time. But even to this day, uh, if Elvis is playing, I love Elvis. Right. Uh, He he probably, to me, was the number one uh, performer. Because when he walked on the stage, he owned every single person there, even though mostly were women. They never took his eyes off them until he walked off stage for the great announcement of what the right. building. He died way too young, but oh my God, what a performer. Mm. And he was Johnny yeah, Cat. Leon, do you remember the time you told me about that you saved the two cast members from 90210 on the set when they were almost <laughs> yeah, killed? I guess they killed both of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, yeah, one, no said, one died a couple years ago with stroke. But, but you know, the, the two. Yeah, the Perry. two cast members, the, the leads, uh, Luke Perry and who Luke died. Luke Perry and the one that played Brandon. Well, I'm a bad guy screaming out of the driveway. I guess I just robbed something, whatever. And I turn the wheel. I'm heading up the street, going a 90 around the corner. That Warner Brothers, dark going around the corner. And I come sliding in, and there's these two idiot kids in the middle of the street just shooting the shit walking. <laughs> I jumped the sidewalk, damn near ran over a fire hydrant. Like, what the? <laughs> so I said, that would figure that I killed the stars of 901. <laughs> Who killed them? Delaney killed them. Yeah, when we were at uh, Chilla Theater, I believe it was, and we were meeting Ian Zaring, and Leon told him the story. Ian looked at me, and I turned around and I said, well, do you want it in Lane's terms? He was a stunt driver working on another set, and Brandon and Dylan were walking when they shouldn't have been. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I go, and Leon saved their life. They almost died. Oh. 
It might have killed me hitting the brick wall, but I wasn't going to be known as the guy that killed the stars of 901. No, 901. Uh, 90210. <laughs> I mean, I, I, story, I, I always mouth off, and the producers say, come on, Leon, give him a break. This is after I'm established. And I hated people that were cocky. One thing about movie stars, they're scared shitless of fun people. They get away with everything else except the stunt people, because I think they knew we were crazy. On an 18, this actress you never heard of, she points to a chair and points to the production assistant, we call pain in the asses, they're PAs. And I tell the kids, all these guys are graduates from Columbia, USC, NYU. Someday you're going to be working for them. <laughs> so you better be nice to them now or you never will work for them. But this actress pointed and demanded for this little PA girl to move her chair instead of her walking to it. <laughs> I'm like, are you that goddamn lazy? You, you know? uh. <laughs> and then, oh, yeah, don't do that. We need her this episode. I said, right. <laughs> yeah. Now, a buddy of mine, Tom Neemfure, who pitched for the Dodgers, okay? He gave up the great Jack Clark home run that lost a National League pennant for the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Don't bring it up. A lot of people do, but he's still my friend. Well, he married. Uh, the, we met them, Kat, at Chiller, the one sister. And I said yeah, the same word to the other sister who's married to Neemfuer, and she remembered me. But anyway, Tom's wife, we're doing a Dukes of Hazard. Now, when you say take your, contract-wise, take your 12-hour turnaround, so if it's noon, at noon, take your 12-hour turnaround, three, three, whatever. She starts counting on her watch, 12. You get that? <laughs> and so I'm thinking, what's going on? So first of all, I went to Tom's house. Paul, uh, John Fogarty was his neighbor from Creedence Clearwater. And we, we would talk a couple of times, have a picnic or a barbecue at Tom's house. I said, John, I just got to tell you. Proud Mary got me through so many great acid trips. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> back in six, you know, back in '67. But you walk into Tom's house, and there's like an eight by ten feet poster on the wall of his wife in a bikini. I have the heart to tell him about the Dukes of Hazard. Well, at least, at least she's good looking. The Lander Sisters. That was yeah, the name. Right, right. Oh, the Lander Sisters. That's right. There yeah, the go. one we you know, did, did uh, Dallas for sure. several years. You know, but they were both, they were both great. But we just got a kick out of counting up, <laughs> counting to twelve. So I'll give you one last uh, eighty-one. A cocky actor, never heard of him, never heard of him again. He comes up in a new Lexus or whatever. Well, the stunt guys they take their shit cars. They don't want to get them dirty and pebbles and whatnot. And he gets out of his car and walks by the stuntman and says, "Someday you may be able to afford." and the driver captain said can you give us a break tomorrow I said don't worry we'll take care of it everybody brought (laughs) their everybody couple of Ferraris Maseratis Porsche (laughs) okay I was the cheapest one with a brand new Lexus and we waited for him because the driver captain was going to make sure he pulled right in there with all the cars and we're waiting for him to get out and said you know young man Someday, when you make it, you can afford these cars. He died. But there's one actor, you know, alcoholism runs rampant in the business. And it, forget his name. Last name, I think, was Stewart. You know, it did all the Western shows on t- TV. 
Nicest guy before lunch. I love you, stunt guys. You're the best. Da, 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 da. Then he'd sit in his room for an hour and drink a whole bottle, and he'd come out drunk and obnoxious. Ugh. You a-holes, you whatever. Anyway, he's in the last shot, and it's called the poor man process. But pickup truck's not moving. They just have lights and branches going by the lights like you think it's moving. I bet $100 with a couple of men that he will not get through this last scene. He only had a few lines. And he took the bet. So we were racked. We could have gone home. I said, I'm not missing this. <laughs> and he starts talking to Papard. Halfway through his sentence, his head goes back on the seat, and he passed out. He <laughs> 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 ran around and collected my hundreds, but he literally passed out on camera. <laughs> That's how drunk he was. Uh, so, so from just at 18, what? We were on, we were at, uh, we were at Chilla Theater, and he was somebody that you introduced me to, I think from Young and the Restless, very tall, like one of the most best-looking guys in the world. Hasselhoff? I think so. And he and he was the one that turned around and said, he just walked right up to me, and he goes, my cat, you are the most beautiful woman. And I was like, ha, 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 ha. Well, it was a original line, at least. Now, you real quick, but you bring up Young and Restless. <laughs> in New City, New York, I lived with my brother and Bill and Sean, this beautiful rock house built around real trees that were used as beams. It was just so unique. And Megan McCracken just lived two houses down. Now, Megan was the original lizard girl in their very yeah. first Kiss poster. Right, those, those shots where she's kind of uh, very uh, scantily got a leg clad. Hanging out. Yeah, that's Megan. Okay, she lived two doors down. And, uh, of course, she didn't get paid a dime because nobody had any money back then. <laughs> but anyway, her and my brother would watch Young and Restless because my brother was in love with Hasselhoff and she was in love <laughs> with Hasselhoff. And I would listen to them <laughs> argue. He you called know? me beautiful all weekend. It made my life. Nice. But it's it's the entertainment business. It's been going on forever. And uh, very lucky, like, say, for a legacy. When I'm long gone, and if there still is a world, guys, I'm not going to go there. Because what's happening now in this world is just scary. I'm at the end of my life, but the young people, I just scared to death for them. I'm just grateful. There's a point to that. A legacy. When I'm long gone... You know, if there's still a world, my great-grandkids could get residual checks for Home Alone. If there's still a world. It's a very simple thing. If they play it, they pay it. You know, and the nice thing is... Did you ever have Lydia Chris on? I've had her on the show. She was actually on, I think, the second or third ever Kiss Room way back in, like, 2012. And then she was actually here one night. We had an... It was called Live 75, the tribute band. And we actually had J.R. Smalling, Lydia Chris, and Len D'Alessio were all actually here in this studio, which was amazing here at Monco Radio. Yeah, poor old Jr. said, John Hart said, everybody. Yeah. You know, I know when it's really bad time when Willie Nelson finally passes. Uh, I think today's his birthday. <laughs> uh, you no, know, I, I mean, uh, I just, uh, I've seen him so many R. times. R.I.P. 
420. Well, you know, I mean, when you think about it, look, I and then we kind of got to wrap it up because I need to kind of wrap things up here. But I think, you know, obviously you've had a great, a great adventure of your life. And I really appreciate you sharing all these stories. I think that's fascinating. It's a fascinating life. And you've had so many yeah. good things happen. And I really do appreciate you sharing all that. And I think even like yep. you said, your legacy will live on and on and on because the movies that you've made, the things that you've contributed will last forever. But let's end it with this. You know, even though I'm moving out of here, knock on wood, if my health holds up to the original 55 and over community that that cat knows. Because I hate it here. I hate being around old people. But I told my son, if I can't take care of myself, put me in here. And earlier last year, I couldn't do it. But now, hopefully, I can get back to my original community. And if I do, so many people say, Leon, you got to write a book. Yeah. So one thing I do have is money. You know, not a lot, but not... <laughs> so I'm going to hire a stenographer, a regular court one, not working or yeah, retired sure. one. I figured to take two weeks, start to finish. And the book's going to be named The Luckiest Stuntman in Film, Story of Destiny. Because if you think about any of your lives, how you got to where you are today, and try to make sense of it, you'll go crazy. It's yeah, all destiny, right. <laughs> what took you one step to the other. Like for me. What's the kid that, you know, lived in, born in Houston, lived in nine states, ended up in Utah, back in New York City, being a Hollywood stuntman in L.A.? It's crazy. Don't even, you just don't even fathom. Real quick, the California coordinator told me, he called me if I want to do stunts. I said, I don't know what stunts are, but if it's a paycheck, I'm in. Okay? <laughs> he was in the casting director's office a little early, and there was a stack of eight by ten headshots. Mine was on the very top. Your first resume is lies. What are you going to say you did? You did nothing. But and by this game, supposed to put it to the top. <laughs> no, no. What I mean is, it just happened to be on the top. It was in the middle or at the bottom. He would have never have known me. I have no idea what I would have done the rest of my life. But talking destiny. But why he hired me? He saw college basketball, a contract with Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, that I didn't do because you couldn't play two sports back in the 60s and get paid. But by me being athletic, that's why he called me. Now, after my first week, and he taught me the film fight, the best film fighter in the business he was. Anyway, when we finally started filming, I got my first check, $1,600 net. Now, we're talking 78. And my wife and I, she ran to the bank and cashed it because we needed the money. (laughs) So I felt guilty, and I told my boss the next night, I said, you know, we need the money, and I cashed the check. I know they overpaid me. He said, well, let's see your check stuff. And he starts explaining extra after midnight time, stun adjustment, triple overtime, da 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 He said, no, Leon, it's right. And I said, hello, stun. <laughs> <laughs> it made up my mind. So anyway, it's been like, say, an adventure. And Paulie, you know what I like? I like his sound station. The band? Yeah, sure. Soul Station, Soul Station whatever Soul he does. Soul Station, Paul Stanley, sure. No, he did Ooh Child, okay? Now, I remember I first lived with Bill and my brother at this huge apartment complex on the Jersey side of the Hudson at the Lincoln Tunnel. And in that huge building was the Isley Brothers and the Five Stair Steps. And I played basketball with them, a lot of Isley Brothers. Especially if you ever saw uh, Rod Stewart and him doing a, um, this old heart of mine. That was the Isley song. 
Well, anyway, my brother says, come on, we're going to go to the Apollo Theater. Now, remember, this is 73, 72. We're going to go to the Apollo Theater and see the stair steps or headliners. I said, we're going to the blackest neighborhood in the world. <laughs> Two white honkies, and we're going to go to the Apollo. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't worry about it. Like, it'll be fine. So we walk in there, and they actually broke the Jackson 5 house record for the week. Wow. With their song, Uchal. And Paul did a great job at Uchal. Well, within 10, 15 minutes, there was more black gangbangers circling us. I said, yes, Sean, that's a way to die. Thank you. <laughs> well, security, security got us out of there and, and backstage. I said, well, thank you. Well, I said, Sean, afterwards, what the, first off, what the hell were you thinking of? And me listening to you. So, a few, a few adventures. Real quick, he, he would say, you got to go to a gay bar with me. I always go to straight bars with me. Oh, God. So, come on, be fair and go to a gay bar with me. So, we're down the village. That's this gay bar. And guys just come to me and said, Leon, trust me. You have me once, you'll never look at another woman. And I say, you know, you, I, what you're saying is probably true, but I don't have time tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, John, you're going to you're trying to kill me. I'm choking. I'm dying. No, you'll never have another woman. Oh. Anyway, oh good days with kids. I owe them a lot. And like I said, the, the new members, every all good. The songs that all good things must end. And also the, the Crosby, Stills, and Nash had a great line. For those of us who remain have to go on living just the same. That about says it all. Yeah. I think that's right. kind it's, of a that's kind of a four, button four where way, we can kind of street album. Yeah, I think it's a button where we can kind of end this. Um, maybe give me one final comment here before we wrap up the show. Well, I'll tell you what, Matt. With Cat telling me you've done a great service, you know, for the people that love Kiss, love music, love stories. So uh, I'm glad you have a show. I really okay. appreciate that. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. You talk about having adventures. It has been a fun time. I'm telling you, you, you have bad times. Don't get me wrong. It's all about good times. But at the end, of, end of the day, my father said this real quick. He said, son, at the end of the day, okay, if you had one more good day than a bad day, you'd beat life. There so you when go. You're in your 20s, when you're in your 20s, what are you, crazy old man? I'm going to have thousands of them. When you get older, you exactly know what he meant. What <laughs> yeah. they mean. Okay, oh, Matt, I'll truth. let you go. Well, you know, I love Kat, you, Pat Kat, do you have anything to say? Give you a final comment? No, you know, no, I mean, you know, when Leon Leon was the one that contacted me a few months ago and said, I want to do my last interview ever, and I would like to have it done with Matt Porter in the kiss room, you know that I contacted you. <laughs> and we've been trying to get this together, and, we're, you know, I'm thankful that we're going to get this done, you know, that we're getting it done tonight. And uh, thank you. You know, you, you're amazing at what you do. And, you know, I'm very grateful and very blessed. I wake up every day blessed. <laughs> and I look around at my, all my kiss stuff and very blessed to know that I know Leon Delaney, Lydia Chris, and, you know. Cat's the number one kiss fan. And Lydia, every yeah. Christmas I try to get books for people that don't have them. 
because it's the best kiss book yeah. that's ever been made. That's yeah. true. Now, Matt, do, you have a, do you have Lydia's book? In fact, you know what? I got it from her when she was here at Monco and got it signed, and I got her to sign a single of Beth as well, which which okay. I love. All right. So. Well, this is where my shout-out is going to go to. <laughs> I wanted to say hello to uh, Bob Trottier, who was in uh, um, Indianapolis. And um, I told him, because, Leon, he's such a huge fan of yours. Um, so, Bob, when you hear this, let me know if you do not have Lydia's book, you have one coming to you. There you go. And it's from okay, Like I said, I just first said, help Lydia. She's up all night with people around the world, and uh, uh, it, it's the best book you could ever own. If you can't afford it, I know 20 bucks or 50 bucks, whatever, uh, some people don't have it. So uh, it's, it, you got you to, gotta, I've read it several times, you know, the pictures. It's just the best about Kiss ever. And God, she was the one that was there before. So everything that she says is history. Oh, it's absolutely fact. There's, there's no faker fiction, much like with other books, there's no second thoughts. With Lydia, it's a table coffee coffee book that it's 100%. There's oh, words it's, for it's, this, it's, but it's it, photos to follow it up. There, there's no There's no beautiful. Okay, I'm, Matt, I got to tell you this one thing. When they went to Japan, okay, my brother, they couldn't find them. This is Lydia telling a story. <laughs> couldn't find them. He ended up with the, the mafia guys that cut their fingers off. Mm. <laughs> Whatever. Now he comes back, and from his almost neck to entire shoulder and to the back is a tattoo of a dragon. <laughs> oh, I, said, you, I said, you had all, that all done in one night? He said, well, I kind of remember. You know how much painful that had been? But we're in an opium den. That's why they couldn't find them. He's with the mafia, the Japanese mafia guys, doing opium and getting tattooed. I have a tattoo on the back of my leg, and I will update you guys very soon. It's going to be Paul Stanley. Wow. I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing a cover-up. It's going to be something with Kiss. I, I don't know if it's going to be a whole face with Paul Stanley, but I think it's going to be four faces or something. Um, well, I feel like a heel that I don't have one tattoo, <laughs> and I'm going to die without a tattoo. <laughs> well, look, I got to I gotta say, I really appreciate you coming on here and talking to me, sharing all these stories. I think even right there, the fact that I think a lot of people have been drawn together because of KISS. And, I mean, yeah. your story certainly remembers the earliest days of KISS. You were involved with so much of KISS. The fact that there's so many people, and Kat, you mentioned the word blessed. There's not a day that goes by yeah. where I don't wake oh, up and but, think, I'm just yeah. so thrilled to know so many cool people and a lot of cool people I know because of KISS. You know, because a lot of, a of people fan. can't say that, Matt. Hear me? Yeah, from being a fan as a little kid. Like, you know, you think about all the times in your life, and I mean, I really am thrilled that we could get so many of your memories of the great times in your life. And you said it was an adventure. And I think everybody, hopefully, is as inspired when they listen to this. You got to go out and live your life. You lived a great, you know, a great time and shared so much of it with us today. And we've had so much fun along the way. And I think that's really what it comes down to. Two of us are left, Lydia, Chris, and me. Uh, we we were there even before John Hart. We were there before J.R. Smalling. Uh, I think Sean said you wanted the best. You got the best for the first it's couple of times. Yeah. 
Yeah, I tried once at the Kingdome in Seattle. <laughs> well, I never, they never let me do it again. <laughs> Not enough, I don't know. I thought I, I was too far away from the mic. Yeah. Sean told me that. Yes, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. But the first band there was Wings with McCartney. Yeah. The next band then was Kiss. Yeah. The, the Seattle Dome. Well, you know yeah. what? To wrap it up. I wanted the best, and I got the best, and I really appreciate Leon and Kat. I really appreciate you calling in. You know, this was a great time. Hopefully, everybody has enjoyed listening to this as much as I have enjoyed talking to the two of you. And with that, we're going to wrap this uh, fun episode up. Thanks a million. Love Love you you both. I'll talk to you soon. All right, bye. Goodbye. You know, a lot of bands like to brag about their fans. Now, naturally, you better believe we brag about you, but we want you to know something. We want you to know, we know that you are our fans, but don't you ever forget, we are your fans! We love you! Thank you for listening to The Kiss Room. Stay tuned to Montco Radio. Any last minute crazy things you want to say to conform with expectations? No, but I will say something to anybody out there that's you know, the weird guy or the weird girl that always has the weird things that they do that their friends put them down for. Don't think it's so weird. Maybe someday somebody will let you give you the chance to make a living out of it. You just stick to it. You'll be weird.